Hello and welcome to a brand new season of Guess That Record. I am your host, Jackson Reed. This is the show where we talk about music and try to figure out which album I pulled from my collection. Before we start the episode, I want to do some housekeeping and provide an update on what's been going on in the world of Guess That Record. The show went on a hiatus in order uh, for myself to find more guests. Um, and that's what I've been working on since season one ended back in April. Uh, it's also given me some time to figure out a direction for the show. And I think that season two will be a never ending season of sorts. I would rather have high quality guests every so often instead of churning out episodes that just aren't interesting. Uh, you know, I, I just want to make sure that the content is good and that you guys will for sure enjoy it. So the uploading schedule may not be as regular, but that doesn't mean I want to stop making the show because you guys, the listeners, you guys, the listeners have been doing your part. I'm proud to say that the podcast has done amazing. On the Canadian Apple podcast charts in the category of music history, the show has reached a peak position of 17. And this is out of 200 music history podcasts in Canada. The fact that we made it that high is incredible. and. It's even had multiple visits to the top 20 over that period of time. So thank you to everyone that listened to season one. And I hope you stick around for more because we've got some amazing things in the works. With that being said, it's time to introduce our first guests of the brand new season of Guess That Record. Since 2018, these three musicians from England have served as the horn section for the legendary Paul McCartney. They've also performed with artists such as Jess Glynn, Emily Sandy, and Ollie Murs. I'm very honored to be speaking today with Paul Burton, Mike Davis, and Kenji Fenton, who as a collective are referred to as the Hot City Horns. How are you guys doing today? Hey, Jackson. Hey, man. Hey, man. How you doing? You all right? I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, super cool to be speaking with you guys today. You're the first guests that we've had on the show that aren't in North America, so that's pretty cool. And... Um, it's uh, it's kind of hitting me because um, it's uh, like nine in the morning for me right now. So I had to get up nice and early for for this recording, but I'm happy to do it to talk with you guys. Um, now, just to make sure the listeners sort of know how your voices sound, uh, why don't you say your name and then what instrument you play? Right. Uh, well, I'm Paul. Um, I play the trombone. I'm Mike and I play trumpet. And I'm Kenji and I play the saxophone. Awesome. Kenji's waving as well, which I think is funny. Uh, I realize it's no a podcast, but you man can see, in it? So. <laughs> we, did, we did have the video, so it's it's all good to wave, yeah. So um, now you guys are, are you guys all in London right now? Yes. Yeah, we are, yeah. London or thereabouts on the outskirts. Right, right. And uh, yeah, it's that's, uh, that's awesome because like London is probably top of the list of... Uh, places i would like to visit that i haven't okay. yet um so yeah yeah i mean uh Brit british music has had a huge influence on me so i would love to go there one day for sure yeah i know that we had to, we had to send in some artists that we're into and that sort of thing so you know about us but we have no idea what like what do you what what are you into what do you listen uh, to well i mean uh i like uh pretty much anything from the 60s to the 80s okay um, but uh, I mean, my shirt kind of gives that away a little bit there. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, now, uh, are you guys all originally 
from London or are you from different areas in England? Kenji's sort of... Yeah, I guess I'm the closest. I'm from a little town just outside of London called Stevenage, um, which is just north of London. Um, But uh, Mike and Paul are actually from the other end of the country. Tell them, boys. Yeah, from the dark side. We're um, (laughs) we're, we're north of the border, um, about, I don't know, 200 miles away, maybe. not- yeah, I'm from Hull. Mike, where are you from, Mike? Originally, I'm from Yorkshire, but I, I guess Manchester is the nearest place. So, Jackson, have you have you seen the Game of Thrones? Um, I watched maybe 20 minutes of the first episode and then got bored. So, well, where, where for the listeners, for anyone who's seen them, anyone who's living on the wall or in the north, that's basically how everyone speaks where we're from, where me and Mike are from. Right. We've just had to adapt our accents moving down to London. Right. So like, yeah. <laughs> now, um, on this show, I love to find out sort of about the origin story of the artists that we're, we're talking with. So let's go back to the beginning. Do each of you remember the first song or album that you heard that made you take music seriously? I mean, my... <laughs> My first album I ever bought is quite an embarrassing one. The first album I ever bought was the Spice Girls, but that's not what made me take music seriously. <laughs> I think Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life was a big one. And also the, mm-hmm. the first Jamiroquai album, Emergency on Planet Earth. Is that Emergency on Planet Earth? Yeah. The first yeah, yeah. one. I, that's got loads of horns in it. And I think that is something that I definitely connected with. Right. What about uh, Kenji and Mike? I could, uh, well, mine's a little bit different. I used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents and my granddad was a trumpet player. So I used to come back from school and sort of stick old vinyl on, pull it, pull it out of his collection. So mine would be something like, I know some old British big band things that I used to sort of think that's wicked and try and play along to it. And yeah, for me, for me, I started, I actually started on the clarinet, not the saxophone. So I started playing the clarinet when I was younger because my sister played it. And I can remember my dad sending me upstairs with a record when I first started playing the clarinet, and it was Stranger on the Shore by a guy called Aka Bilk, who was an old sort of jazz, um, traditional, like trad jazz, British clarinetist. And then when I, when I, a few years later, when I bought home a saxophone from school, he did the same thing with the saxophone. And it was a tune called Love Won't Let Me Wait by Hank Crawford. And he was like, yeah, come down when you can play that. <laughs> basically and I can remember saying to him but I only know two notes and he was like yeah but you'll know more by the time you've by the time you've learned it you'll know more and I was like and that's how he rolled so awesome. yeah now so yeah, so it sounds like you guys all started on horns then as like your first instruments started on piano and then when I was five when I was eight I started the trombone I didn't start horn first I played a bit of ukulele when I was younger and then moved on to onto trumpet um yeah I was I was a, I was full full horns. Well, I, could, I don't know if you can call the recorder a horn, but that was that was that was my first love. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, now uh, let's uh, let's get into the timeline of the Hot City Horns. So, uh, how did you guys meet and sort of get started with all this? Well, so uh, me and Mike uh, met at university. So we we studied at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, which is in Liverpool, which was uh, set up by Paul McCartney um, as a kind of performing arts school. So uh, uh, that's quite a nice little link to what we've ended up doing more recently. Um, so that was up in Liverpool. Me and Mike were in class together. Uh, there wasn't a lot of horn players at the in our year. 
so we would naturally just sort of start playing together quite a lot. Kenji was not far away in the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester. Um, and so as we were like going through our through university, we would we would bump into Kenji, wouldn't we? We'd see him on the old gig, we'd know of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then we all moved down to London at various points and I think we maybe it's fair to say we saw sort of like a, a gap for doing something as a collective as a home section. You know, there's a lot of great uh, horn players and brass players in London, but it, there's not as many doing it as a, a unit, a three piece unit. And I think that was probably the, the reason that we formed a, a, a group, if you like. Definitely. Yeah, I was also going to say that when I so when I first moved down to London, I did I did a little bit of moonlighting with some other, you know, in, in sort of pickup groups, if you will. That And it's definitely definitely it's it's much not only socially is it better but musically it's much better to work with two people that you work with all the time and that are uh, uh, have the same goals you'll find I found that a lot of other horn players I play with kind of wanted to play in the section but were kind of more about being individuals and I think that a, sec a section needs needs people to be committed to blend to the blend do you know what I mean like it's a, a, a great a great lead vocalist doesn't always make a good backing singer do you know what I mean and vice versa exactly yeah and um, how did you guys come up with the name? I can't even remember that. <laughs> I, no, and I was thinking, I was on, <laughs> on a run this morning, I was like, I bet he asked us how we came up with the name, so I should have an answer ready. But it's one of those very nothing stories, I think, where we just kind of, I remember me and Mike bouncing some ideas around, you know, and we just sort of settled on it. And I can't really remember. I actually, re I remember being on a tour bus and somebody in the band that we were away on tour with penciled out on the back of a, I don't know, a loose piece of paper, a load of random names, and some of them were really awful. <laughs> but I can't remember. It was literally that. It was literally a sort of almost like a lucky dip. Do you prefer that one? Do you prefer that? And it was just one of those on that list. Yeah, and I, I don't know, Jackson, if you play anything or if you've ever been in a band, but coming up with a band name or a group name is like the the, the most hardest and horrible thing ever. You know, like you think of names of any band that you've heard of, you know, like the Beatles or the Foo Fighters or the Arctic Monkeys. And you just like, if you just, if you just say those words, it, it, it could sound like nothing, but all of a sudden they become these massive world known bands. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's basically the, how we settled on that. And it was more to give us an identity, I guess, you know, like this idea of a product, I guess, or something that is more than just three guys, make it one. And to do that, we mm. needed a name, you know? Yeah. No, I, I am a musician myself and I've got my own group and uh, yeah, it's um, for me, it was more just finding a name that hadn't been taken. Um, so just Googling, <laughs> has this yeah. name been used? Okay. That one has. So <laughs> on to the next one until we got something. So yeah. So, I mean, it's hard. What's, what's your band called then? It's uh, Jackson Reed and the Silverbirds. Oh, nice. Okay, still... nice. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, yeah, nice. I, I wanted a bird because I thought, like, that's that's pretty, like, rock and roll. But uh, it yep. was just going through every type of bird until silver birds seemed pretty open. So, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, you guys have obviously been able to land some incredible opportunities. Um, but I have to imagine it was a pretty long grind to sort of work your way up the ladder. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of things, you you have to work hard and keep working at it. Maybe have a little lucky meeting. You know, you meet someone along the way, you, have, you and so on. You know, it's we've definitely worked hard though, but had to pay our bills. Yeah, I feel like we we did a, a lot of that. I feel like a lot of that is the reason that we came together as well. Like a lot of, I feel like we played we paid more dues separately 
than we did when we were like, right, okay, right, we've done all this stuff. This isn't necessarily what we want to do. We want to do that. How's the best way of doing that? Let's get together. Let's make it a thing and let's, you know, a, a sort of a, form an action plan and attack, if you will. Do you not think, boys? I think so. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Also, a lot of people, a lot of people ask us like, do we get our work for an agent and things like that? Very much. I, I'm sure globally for a horn player, it's, it's very much sort of reputation and word of mouth. A lot of these things, mm. which can go negatively as well if you if you bait your ass. <laughs> you know I mean? um, yeah, I think that's that's fair to say that, right? Yeah, it's, it's like a combination. I think we always saw it as a combination of you know play well move well, look good, turn, you know, key things to turn, turn up on time, do a good job, put the effort in, you know, and I think we tried to give the same amount of effort to whatever it was we were doing so that we're always doing a good job, not just for the people that were doing it, but for ourselves, I think as well, we set like that high standard of, of, of what we expected from ourselves. And, you know, we still do to this day. And I, I, I personally think that's a big reason why we've gone on to do some of the things that we've maybe done. Absolutely, yeah. Consistency mm-hmm. is key. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and um, and you guys were mentioning there, like you and I, I talked about this with Paul just uh, before the podcast to kind of like just confirm who you guys have all worked with and stuff. And there was like there were some names there that you guys had worked with separately before. So, um, mm. uh, like I, I saw like Paul Weller and Madness and a few groups like that. So. Um, yeah, I guess like what were what were some of your early gigs when you were all starting out? It's hard to remember these. Yeah, things, like yeah, we still I mean... do the odd thing separately now, you know, which is maybe some of those names. But I mean, K- uh, Kenji, you started out with a girl called Katie B, who I don't know is yeah. Made it over the I other. just don't. Feel... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think she made it to the States. And if she did, I'm really sorry, Katie, if you're listening to this. I, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I so yeah, I did. I I started with a yeah a lady called Katie B. There's another person called a British guy called John Newman. Again, I don't think he really travelled. But um, I mean, one thing we found was like, and it's still kind of the case, is that a lot of artists don't use horns necessarily. It's a thing that gets added on down the line when there's more budget and they're doing bigger mm. venues with more revenue, you know, money to pay everybody. So like, it was really about getting that sort of first sort of break which we got with Ollie Murs, who was just, just out of the X Factor over here and went on to have a, a long, it was still is having a, a long career. And then just from there, all the things we talked about of doing a good job, then, hope, you know, you meet people along the way, hopefully get known as, like Kenji says, consistent performers. And then that led to all these other things that we've we've done. And then there's the travelling artists, the sort of, um, you know, your, your American artists and people from other countries that would come across and do a promo run and then pick up some horns here because they wouldn't bring the horns that they have over with them. So we got definitely we've all done, we've got to work with some different people doing doing that sort of thing as well, you know, which which is always is always great. Um, so, yeah. yeah. What um, I guess like even you know like by yourselves or like together, uh, what was like the first gig where you? remember kind of going like i think we may be on to something here let's say the first gig we ever did together that sounds like the right answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can yeah, remember yeah. the first gig we well it depends whether we're thinking about uh the one the first gig we did with Oli Murs, which was at sheffield arena i remember that quite well but also we did, <laughs> but we also, are you sure you want are you sure you want to talk about <laughs> no, that? no 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 but we also that we did that we did a gig together for a style uh, for a fashion show yeah that's oh, what, yeah. actually maybe yeah, that's yeah. the first time that we went this is good we all enjoy you know 
You can talk yeah. about that, Ken. Well, yeah. So I, I had a friend who needed a horn section. And I think basically these guys have worked together for quite a few, quite a few years because they were in the same place. But I kind of wasn't in it yet. And I wanted to be in it. <laughs> I wanted to be in it. And so my way of getting in it was to book. Um, I, I'd sort of moved down to London and I had this gig that was paying decent money. And it's for the El Stash, um, L Fashion Awards. And they were even buying us suits and stuff. So I was like, right, this is my chance to impress these boys, right? So I was like, I, I booked, uh, I booked the, horn se- the horn section with me in it, thinking, well, what will happen is we'll, we'll, you know, we'll have a fantastic time. And hopefully after this, then they won't ask me to leave. <laughs> and uh, that's what went down. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. So um, you guys have, have, uh, have got a pretty substantial list. Um, maybe it would be great, though, to for the listeners, if you could sort of share some of the noteworthy artists you've performed with over the years. Paul McCartney, notwithstanding, we'll, we'll be getting to him. <laughs> we should all go around and pick one. Yeah, well, you yeah, just keep going around. <laughs> yeah, well, why don't I start off with well, this Ollie Murs when we started with that? It was that was really what got us into this world. So that was you know into the pop session world and started doing these big tours, doing arena tours, playing at festivals in front of thousands and thousands of people, and you know, and he was a really nice guy to work for. So that's that you know that's a good place to start with someone that we worked with that we did for many years and did some pretty cool shows with. Uh, Emily Sunday. We got to work with Emily Sunday around the time that she was. Um, it was around the time of the 2012 Olympics, I think, wasn't it? No, it wasn't the Olympics. What was it? No, she got big in the Olympics. It was, it was after that was it. And yeah. uh, it was just after that. And no, it was it was a really good time because that that in particular for us, the the rest of the band were just incredible musicians. So at that point, we'd we'd, we'd sort of done some work together. We'd worked in a few different situations and then we got into this band where every the level of musicianship was just so high that i think it really raised our game as a section as well so yeah that was really really good time we're, we're going to say the general ones you've already you've already mentioned before but yeah but when we did jess glenn together we were sort of like booked as part of the band as a horn section but that that gig became so much more than that to us because we were sort of because we decided to you know have a little sway on and do a a little two-step here and there. We ended up finding ourselves in full choreography rehearsals um, on top of the whole musical thing where we got sort of booked, like turn up to this studio, to a dance studio on Monday morning and don't bring your horns. Just wear, wear trainers and tracksuits. It was that. <laughs> and that sort of, um, it sort of snowballed a bit. You know, it wasn't just about the music then. It was about the whole sort of, the whole package. But we, um, we sort of took that on board and encouraged it, if you like to not sort of sit there and stand in front of a music stand and read <laughs> notes and, you know, bring a bit more personality into it, I mm. guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Be part of it. Be part of it. That's what, that's why, that's why Kenji's got a gym right behind oh, him yeah. there. That's what you mean. Just <laughs> just like, ready I, all I think times. our thing also is always make yourself <laughs> as, you know, you, uh, useful as possible on the gig, you know, and, and <laughs> be memorable and, <laughs> but I think like the the variety of the different artists we work for is is what you know keeps it exciting. Like more recently, we've worked with a British rapper called Stormzy, and again, it's a whole different genre of music for us to you know get our teeth into. To and you know, and, and that's always challenging us in different ways with how we approach it musically and and so on and, and what what it needs. So they're they're the sort of some of the bigger artists that we've worked with in in the UK that we've enjoyed. 
And then, and then I guess if you were to speak about us individually, that gets even like I know Paul. Paul has done some stuff with Madness and some stuff with is, he, is Paul Weller you? Me and Mike did something with Paul Weller. Yeah, Mike. And Mike's Mike's done stuff with all sorts from Palinatini to like uh, some big bandy kind of people. You've done big bandy people, right? Of note. Yeah, yeah. Like did some Cliff Richard things, and we've all done random bits. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've done some like from Jason Derulo to Taylor Swift. Like it's all different. It's like it's all it's all a bit wild. So we time take something from there and bring it all back into the melting pot, and all those experiences shape the Hot City Horn sound. Oh, awesome. that sounded like a good clip. That's a good yeah. clip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It does>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I wanted to ask because, like, this is the first opportunity that I've I've had to speak with musicians that have performed in like big arenas and festivals. And so, like, as a musician myself, what are the differences in preparing for like an arena show versus playing in a like a club or a smaller venue? I don't know. I think. I think the fundamentals are the same, the base of your, you know, your thought process and whatever, because you have to be just as prepared on paper, you know what I mean, to do the smallest gig. Your mindset should be the same. Yeah. I guess the nerve thing maybe to different people affect you, you know, if you go and see a crowd of 100,000 people, there, that might have other aspects of, you know, but I think the, the process should be the same. Mm. I might be uh, the, wrong that, that. You're right. That the, the approach process needs should be the same. You know, no matter what gig you're playing, you should you should give you know what you want to give and what you need to give. Yeah. I guess one thing I would say is is that that I found fascinating is once you get into arenas and stadiums, it's just the amount of people involved to put on that 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 concert that show is just I find it fascinating. You know, like mm. the amount of people you know you can have fifty to a hundred to two hundred people involved in in getting everything ready for that show and like. I really sort of thrive off that person. I really enjoy that, you know, being part of this massive team. And, uh, you know, everyone there is is trying to do the best that they can to make this this show happen. And I think I think that's that's a really rewarding thing to be a part of. I think also budget as well. Like the, <laughs> one of the biggest differences between club gigs, I think, and studio gigs is there's more likely to be horns on a studio, on a, not studio, a stadium, sorry. There's more likely to be horns on a stadium gig and less likely for us to be there actually on a club gig because of this space is space on the stage and also the level of money that the artist will earn won't necessarily lend itself necessarily to to affording affording a bigger band. So that's also something to note, I think. Yeah, as such we have this really weird sort of thing where we end up luckily doing a lot of arena shows and a lot of stadium shows because that's what the budget will mean, you know, artists of that size can have the budget for horns. Doing a club gig is really like novel to us almost, and like when we when we get to do it, we absolutely like love it. You know, like hundred oh, percent. I never forget we were on tour with Jess Glynn and and we'd done loads of huge shows, and we were just making our way across Europe to all these big uh, festival shows. And there must have been a couple of days off, that, and she just stuck in a little club gig in this like tiny, dark, grotty venue in Vienna. Uh, and it and she had turned, but she turned up with. You know, I can't remember how, but nine, ten-piece band or whatever, horns, BVs. We tried to put as much of the set into this tiny club gig, and it was wild. Like, I just we—that's yeah. one I always really remember. I think we all do, just because it was like, wow, mm. you know, a, it was novel to be doing. Because you're so much closer to the energy, so much closer to the audience's energy, and I guess you miss that. Doesn't always translate in a stadium, if that makes sense. 
but it's kind of it's funny because in for me i've always like i would love to eventually get to where i'm like playing you know bigger bigger places um just because i feel like my show might translate better than in like a bar because i I jump around a lot and i i really go crazy and i feel like sometimes people are kind (laughs) of Weird, weirded out by that but in a stadium that fits right at home so you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but i don't know I, i'm sure it's like when you walk out and there's you know thousands of people it's a bit like whoa this episode of guess that record is sponsored by guitar works one of canada's top independent music stores for over 30 years Guitar Works carries a huge selection of musical instruments from the biggest brands in music, including Gibson, Fender, Martin, Yamaha, and Paul Reed Smith. Visit any of their three Calgary locations or shop online at guitarworks.ca and join the Guitar Perks program to earn money back with every purchase. Guitar Works, your total guitar store. This episode of Guess That Record is also sponsored by Marvel Marketing. Marvel Marketing is an award-winning digital marketing company headquartered in Calgary, Alberta, working with clients in different industries from all over North America, including Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Marvel Marketing services include website design and development, website maintenance, search engine optimization, public relations services, and social media management, amongst others. To find out more, visit marvelmarketing.ca. This episode of Guess That Record is also sponsored by Recordland, home to the largest selection of music in Canada. Buy, sell, and trade tapes, CDs, and vinyl. Located in Calgary's Inglewood neighborhood on 9th Avenue Southeast, visit them in person or online at recordlandcalgary.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at recordlandcalgary. Now, uh, Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's it. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you guys got the opportunity of a lifetime when you joined up with him in, in 2018. And I've found, like, in my experience, moving up in the music industry is just all about knowing the right people. Uh, like, you know someone who knows someone, and then it just goes from there. Uh, was that how you got the job with Paul? I think essentially, yeah. Um me and Mike did a we did a charity show which happened at the Royal Albert Hall mm-hmm. back in I think like 2014 maybe 2015. So uh, yeah. so we just sort of we went and did that and we met uh, the MD for that show was uh, Paul Wicks Wickens who's Paul McCartney's keyboard player and um, so we we met him at that occasion but it was a huge event with a whole orchestra as well and then um, d- didn't really you know have much to you know didn't speak to Paul much after that but then yeah 2018 around May 2018 we we hear from him saying need to talk to you about something so I sent that's where the initial meetup came but then I think there was also this connection with uh Lippo where me and Mike had studied which was the school that Paul McCartney had set up which was another thing that he could speak to Paul about be like well I know these guys and and then it sort of went from there and you know some meetings and what have you after that and before we know it, we're flying out to New York for rehearsals and then to Canada. Mm. That was the first place we, we, we kicked with him. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I have to imagine that the first time you meet Paul, it's, it's gotta be a bit freaky just because he's like, it's Paul McCartney, you know? Um, do you remember like the first, the first meeting or the first rehearsal with him? 
But Paul's and myself's first encounter of him was actually get receiving our degrees. And mine didn't go as mine didn't go quite <laughs> okay. as planned as I thought because um, in a fluster. <laughs> For the photograph that where you're supposed to be posing and giving your scroll and stuff, I ended up pulling his finger. <laughs> yeah, it's as weird as it sounds. So that was my first encounter. But yeah, I think when we got out there to New York, first professional encounter, he was just as relaxed as as anybody really as a as a person. It was us three that were like, <laughs> behave yourself and don't mm. say, you know. I Stay guess, in but it's like when but, you um, join any kind of new, you know, and if you enter any other musical world, it's it's always nerve wracking, especially one that a lot of the people involved with Paul McCartney have been working with him for for so long, and you're stepping into that world. It, it's a bit terrifying, really, because you're very much the new guys who no one, you know, a lot of people didn't know a lot about. So you know, you have to, again, mm. like Mike says, be on your best behaviour. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we'd heard a lot about how long. All we'd sort of heard was about how long everyone else had been there <laughs> before we before we met up with them, and how yeah, how long everyone had, had 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 done it from. And that goes throughout the whole camp. Like it's a lovely, it's a lovely, it's really is a touring family, and lots of people have been there from for for years. And you know, people's children have even started to work for the for the camp. It's that it really is a family environment, and so to have three new guys come into that was I feel like was a bit strange for them, and then obviously for us when you get to when you're when you're about to go and play for Paul McCartney. And also at that point, you can't tell anyone that you're going to play for Paul McCartney. You can't even tell your family where you're going. It was all a little bit, all a little bit CIA, <laughs> all a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which was new because, you know, all the other gigs I'd, I'd done before I could tell people. So it was, it, it was a bit different, wasn't it boys? Mm. Yeah. And then unfortunately on the flight over to New York, I managed to get some sort of illness. Mm. <laughs> and so, and so I was terrified I was going to make everybody sick as well, which is is not a good not a good look. So I was trying not to cough and splutter over everybody. <laughs> nice, yeah. For me, like the the Beatles were like my beginning in music. Like when I was a kid and I heard Paperback Writer, I was like, nothing was the same after that. Um, were you guys were you guys Beatle fans when you were growing up as well? I, I don't think actually any of us were, which is. Oh. Um, not 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 a fan though. I mean, my dad was my dad was a huge fan. You know, he I think he has every single Beatles album on the original vinyl. Uh, so I did grow up, you know, hearing about them from my dad, and it was probably the first time he took me seriously as a musician when I told him I was going to work with Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say what I think he's quite interesting about the three of us is um, our like musical upbringing if you like was very varied and completely different and what we were all into musically was individually is completely different I don't think we really share the same thing you know I I was a big uh, rock fan you know so I'm I'm Foo Fighters that's that's Foo Fighters Oasis that's what I was listening to when I was younger and I don't think these two were Mm. (laughs) no not so much (laughs) (laughs) but I was a I think we were all we while you're, you know, you, you, everyone grows up aware of the Beatles, uh, but also, and everyone grows up aware of Lennon and McCartney as songwriters. I think I was, I, I very much was much more aware of that than I was of that of their necessarily necessarily their versions of songs. So, like when I was from, uh, my parents were big um, Motown fans, like Stax, Atlantic. You know, I, I know Aretha singing singing some of Paul's songs. I know uh, Gladys Knight singing some of Paul's songs. And you know, I. I, I know them that way, but also when I was younger, I used to play in wind orchestras and orchestras, and I know I know that 
you know, in the wind orchestras and the, and, and those sorts of things, I'd look at the top of the page and the songwriter would be whatever we were, the arrangement we were playing was the, the, the composer was Lennon and McCartney. But everyone's aware of the Beatles and everyone's aware of that music. And even if you're not brought up on it as a musician, you always come across their, their songwriting in various guises in any ensemble that you play in, you're, you're going to play some Lennon and McCartney. It's going to happen. It's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you guys had mentioned that the first show you played with him was in New York, which was of course the Grand Central Station show. Mm. Uh, and just what a amazing place to have your first show with him. Uh, how did that one go? It was, it was wild because that we hadn't, while we've played for quite a lot of, different people you 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 realize what real celebrity is when you play for someone like Paul because you know the whole the center of New York City pretty much shut down and not just because of him because it was a it was a, a concert for him and for guests so everybody I think there were 200 people that were coming to see it and they were all all guests of his and I don't think it was until the show started that I thought what that would mean. I don't know about you boys. Did you like, we were so busy trying to panicking about what we were going to play. I don't think we yeah. thought about what that means. And we start the show in the middle of the audience. So we, we, we start off stage. Um, and so, you know, this show started and we're sort of backstage all trying to pretend we're not nervous and, you know, trying to talk each other through what's about to happen and what have you. <laughs> and then they take us out into the crowd to, to, you know, start off stage and there wasn't enough room for us. So I can remember on my side, I'm looking to my right and I'm like, I, I, there's not enough room and I've got, to, I've got to tell the person next to me to move. And it was Meryl Streep and John Bon Jovi. And I was just like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is different. This world is different. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This is. Yeah, I remember I after we played our show, uh, that, that song, and we go backstage, I remember quite as I was sweaty because I've been sweating and I'm probably panicking a little bit. Sort of in my quite clumsy way, which is quite normal for me, I push someone out the way and one of these two when I get back, they're like, you know, you just pushed Kate Moss out the way. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, it was it was a really, really wild experience. And then also, you know, uh, the the way as, he, as, as we walk out of the gig, there are lines, you know, people are, crowds are lined up just screaming at Paul. And I've seen that on the television, but to be in it, not in it they're not screaming at me obviously but <laughs> to be do you know what I mean to experience that firsthand was was wild it really was wild really was yeah no he's uh he's probably the most famous living musician I think you can make a case for that so it's uh yeah it's got to be eye-opening for sure um and uh and then you guys went on the freshen up tour which was from like the fall of 2018 to the summer of 2019 and you guys played four continents during that run was that the first time you guys had really been all over the world like that i think to that degree definitely yeah yeah we'd visited yeah. little bits you know we'd sort of been over to the states here and there but not i'd, I'd personally never been to canada before and we start off in what was it quebec edmonton mm. montreal montreal winnipeg um, yeah, we were, I don't think any of us had ever... Oh, no, we'd been to Japan very briefly with Jess Glynn, but very much in and out, whereas we, we went for a couple of weeks, and that, 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 I think we all enjoyed that a lot. And I'd never done a tour where I need different types of wardrobe. That's how I knew things were different. Like, I've always done something, and you go to a certain <laughs> part, and, you you know, the, the climate is going to be fairly similar. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But all of a sudden, I had, like, shorts, but also had a winter jacket all in the same bag. I was like, okay, 
This is rockstar behaviour. <laughs> so what he's talking, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about is when we first go over to rehearsals with Paul in New York, and then we go to Canada. I don't yeah. think any of us really thought what going to Edmonton and Winnipeg in late September mm-hmm. really means. Well, I know we didn't because none of us at all had enough clothing. I'll never forget. <laughs> it was very much Ed- it was Edmonton that really, yeah. really took it. Though, yeah, Winnipeg's it? got those underground things, you know, underground yeah. like yeah. walkways. But yeah, and when we got to Edmonton, I just remember, yeah, the, the temperature had changed, and we mm. we went to go to a, like a, go have some food and drinks, and I think we'll, none of us will ever forget the walk from the hotel to the to the bar <laughs> in like just a jumper, you know, no no, no coat or anything. But no. then straight after that, we go straight down to Austin for the Austin City Limits Festival. <laughs> Baking hot so It was, yeah, it's very confusing. Yeah. Mm. I'd never, that's how I knew I hadn't been very far. Do you know what I mean? Because that was a new problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the good thing, I mean, um, even though Calgary and Edmonton are pretty close together, mm-hmm. uh, very different climates because Calgary is usually a bit warmer. Okay. Edmonton is like a frozen wasteland most of the year. So, so cold. Yeah. <laughs> so cold. Yeah. Um, now, when when you guys started, you know, going all over the place with Paul, ha- like, have you noticed, and I guess with your other gigs that you've had, have you noticed um, like differences between audiences in different countries? Oh, yeah. Well, you go, Mike. <laughs> I was going to say some of the loudest audience we've ever seen was um, was down in South America. Absolute, absolute craziness in a great way. And then the other extreme is equally as enjoyable from a from a um, an audience perspective, but from a culture point of view, just just a lot quieter and, man- and sort of polite and whatever. Japan was was really really strange because you've got this you've got fireworks going off and live and let die and you know massive loud pa systems as a flat and then you'll just get and then before the next song silence absolute silence yeah absolute they listen silence. to it which to me makes a lot of sense like around the rest of the world why are we going to a show and screaming all over it it makes no sense like i want to hear I want to hear what I paid for. Like that you know <laughs> that's kind of how I watch yeah. shows I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty reserved mm. during a concert. Yeah, but even across like America and Canada, North America, like because it's obviously such that we're talking about big countries, you you'll notice differences there. Like New Orleans mm. always stands out as like it was like everyone was having an absolute ball. You know, yeah. it was like so mm. loud. And then then you'll go to some of the bigger cities in in America, and it's maybe a bit more reserved. Which that's the classic mm-hmm. thing in England. Like a, a London crowd is generally a bit more reserved than a north of england crowd and you know and then you'd go and then with paul we'll play some really sort of smaller town places and they you know they maybe don't get artists like that coming to their town they'll, they'll go absolutely wild you know so it's mm-hmm. fascinating oh, no. from that point of view just to to see the difference and they go wild all day like uh, like and i think it's fairly similar like in 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 England, uh, in England, and I think what we're saying is places in the world, big cities in the world that have multiple things going on all at the same time. While they're appreciative that it's a little bit more as an audience member, you sort of go to that gig and sort of stand there with an attitude of, "Well, okay, I've made you're my choice for the evening. Entertain me." Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I think when in smaller towns where maybe they don't have as many concerts and they don't have as many things, they come. They they come with a more supportive attitude if 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 you will, and that it's it's you know this might be the only time that something like this happens 
this year. So it's going to be the best night of my life. And I, and you can feel that energy. I mean, when we went to some of the smaller places, like, was it the Green Bay? But what was the place that we went to? Green, and they had, Green Bay was like, the day before. They had Beatles tribute bands. Yeah. There, just a it was like a band. carnival atmosphere, or like for days around it. Yeah. And that felt really special, especially as we were sort of walking through it, thinking this is all here for us, but nobody knows this is great. um now after after the freshen up tour um a couple months later of course uh we are in a pandemic and everything stops what um what were you guys uh like were you guys able to sort of get up to anything during that pandemic break um or were you kind of going crazy because you couldn't do anything second option yeah (laughs) second option Mainly the second option. I mean, we did some, like for me, uh, particularly, I mean, for me, it was a time when I sort of had to learn some new skills. Like, for instance, I I didn't know how to record from home, which is very lazy as a professional musician, but I just didn't know how to do it because I play with two other boys that knew how to do it for me. And um, all of a sudden I couldn't see them because of COVID. So I had to get that sorted out, which that, that was, that was good. And we did, we did a few sort of remote projects and stuff, but, it wasn't until was it the second the second half of it? When did we go away with Seal? Was that the second half of it? Yeah, that was in September, September. twenty twenty. Because that yeah that at a time when it felt like maybe maybe music was finished and and life was potentially over, all of a sudden we got a gig together again and it and it felt we were like oh there's hope. <laughs> I don't know. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. And I think I, I think I'm speaking for the three of us. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, it was a tough time. I think you know. You speak to anyone in the create in any creative industry, they really struggled in throughout all of that. You know, getting what you know what a lot of us is our main passion and love, and what what we know our day to day life having that taken away, and then it just it went on longer and longer. It was really hard, and I, even mm. like mm-hmm. the three of us had just been spending a lot of time together, and all of a sudden we weren't. You know, we were doing little Zoom catch ups just to see, <laughs> check in on each other, and you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember one day I cycled uh, up to where Kenji lived, and we, you know, could sit, met outside because that was allowed. I cycled for like an hour just just to see just to see someone's face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, like I don't know about the other two, but you know, there was a lot of encouragement for like musicians to like, well, you know, you don't have to, even though you can't work or go out and perform, you can work on your craft on your craft, you know, practice, but. That battle to pick up a trombone in, you know, at, at my house when I don't really know what the point of picking it up is, because it's like Kenji says, maybe, maybe the music's done in the world. You know, that these kind of thoughts were going on in my head. Yeah. Maybe yours too as well. And it's like I don't want to pick up the trombone. That's almost sort of blamed it. You know, that like, if I didn't play this, maybe I'd still, I'd still have a job or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, I definitely went through waves. I remember there were times where I'd like be really focused and I'd like practice like really hard for like two, three weeks, and then I'd get fed up because I'm like, oh, this sounds really good and no one's ever going to know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, what's the point? And then I realised that apparently I play to entertain a lot more than I play for me, I realised. Because, yeah, without without an end goal, I, I found it really hard, really hard. I want to get out there and show, you know what I mean? Yeah. Show some people and have some fun. That's a big part of, and yeah, that together with like, because we, even before being with Paul, from, from about 2000, between about 2015, and when COVID hit, we, I didn't really do, I can't, because even when we do, when we're not touring, all the other gigs that we do together is with uh, is together. 
I'm with these two boys all the time. So all of a sudden, like I basically went on tour with them in 2015 and never came home. And now all of a sudden I was home, really home, like so home. <laughs> it was <laughs> And on top of that, like I can remember when it got like the first, we had two lockdowns here and the first one was fine because it was summer. But then all of a sudden it was winter and I hadn't seen a full winter in England for years. Like I, I, like just we never we weren't around and so yeah doing all of those things without essentially you know your arm and your leg which is Mike and Paul it was like yeah it was it was wasn't good it wasn't good my partner did not enjoy me <laughs> <laughs> um now when did you uh when did you guys uh find out that uh, uh Paul was going to go on tour again because of course he just uh just completed the the got back tour when did you guys uh know that was going to happen shortly after that when obviously the got back tour um sort of came into our diaries if you will um mm-hmm. yeah but to see him just sort of get back essentially you know get into it and see people's reactions to it that was quite special this last uh, this last few and also we've all had a reset and don't get really you know complacent or blasé about it anymore so it kind of meant a lot a lot more than than what it had have done, you know, had you been away constantly. Well, when you're traveling to... quite a lot, like, yeah, it is easy to get complacent. But I know personally, when I, we, when we did this last tour, I, you know, I very much made the most of everywhere I went and, you know, taking the people, you know, the, the, each place where I was and, and just uh, make the most of it. I really appreciate traveling again, you know. Mm. And I think that was also, though, I feel like there's a different energy with audiences as well. Like, don't get me wrong, a, a, a McCartney show is always, like, is always special, do you know what I mean? But I feel like con- stadium, con- like, concerts of that size, even 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 if you didn't think music was finished, the idea at one point of getting that amount of people together without a mask sitting next to each other was was not comprehend- comprehend- comprehensible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so for that to start happening and... Yeah, I feel like the everybody that was on stage, everybody behind the scenes, you know, crew, lorry, you know, people that drive the lorries, people that do catering, all of those people had their livelihoods taken away from them. And so when that came back, they felt really special. But also audiences thought they would never get to see a gig on that scale again. And so everybody in the room was having a moment, I think. And I think that, I hope that continues, actually, because it really does feel special at the moment. Yeah. I mean, don't get us wrong, there was masses of COVID protocol and sort of, you know, safeguarding and stuff before that mm. um, from a crew point of view. But yeah, it was, felt normal again. Mm. The new normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm proud to say I attended. Come on. Hey. Where did you uh, see it? Yeah. I went to the very first show in Spokane. Amazing. Um, and uh, that was my first ever Paul McCartney show. Um, and it was, uh, you know, because I remember when you guys played in Edmonton mm-hmm. and we we thought about going, but like it just wasn't like the scheduling wasn't great. And I was like, ah. too cold, wasn't it? Too cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want to drive to Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but I, I ended up kind of especially, you know, the winter before the tour. Uh, the Get Back documentary came out and I was like on the Beatles train once again, you know, like I was just listening to everything and I was like, man, I, I should have gone to that show. Like I just, I, I haven't seen Paul yet and I'll 
you know, I'll kick myself if I don't see him. Mm. And then when I saw that coming back on tour and the first show was in Spokane, you know, it's, it's not too far from Calgary. So I, uh, uh we went and, uh, I'm so glad I did. Cause it was like the best show I've ever seen. Oh. It was weird though. Cause I was like, like, what's he doing in Spokane? Like that's, that's such a weird place to go for, for Paul. But, um, but yeah, it, uh, it was, it was a great time. Mm. This is what I, I, I love about, you know, what, uh, Paul in particular, when he tours, yeah, he'll, he'll go wherever, well, he can go anywhere because he's obviously known everywhere, you know, but yeah, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll play the SoFi Stadium in LA, but he'll also play an arena in Spokane, which I'd definitely never heard of Spokane before we, we went there. Yeah. I think he makes a conscious effort to try and go to places he hasn't been before or be, go to, you know I mean? As long as there's a venue nearby that's sort of big enough, he wants to, he, he wants to do new things. And I think that, that you can see that through his artistry, that that's just the sort of man that he is. Do you know what I mean? He's forever trying to push boundaries and do new things, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spokane was beautiful as well. I don't know if you'd ever been to oh, yeah. Paul Jackson. Yeah. Oh, I can remember those, those, those falls as well. The, the water, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the whiskey bar. Oh yeah, the whiskey <laughs> bar. Yeah, <laughs> I um I think though that was a, a great show to go to because of the fact it was the first one on the tour. So um you know like yeah Paul hadn't played you guys hadn't played live in like three years mm. so it was uh it was a big moment uh in that regard and I, I think it was also good because because of the fact it was a bit of a smaller arena. Um, you know, like you were saying, you know, you've played like SoFi Stadium, which is like, you know, 50,000 people. And then Spokane was like 10,000. So it was a bit more intimate in that regard, I think. Um, and also the fact that uh, we didn't know that the the bit where he sings with John Lennon on I've Got a Feeling, oh. I didn't know that was coming. And no one knew that was yeah. coming. And then, of course, it got spoiled on social media for everyone else. So that was kind of cool, too. Uh, you, of were genuine, you... you were genuinely there the first time that that happened, right? Yeah. I know, yeah. And it was it was so good. Um, and uh, it's just a better memory of Spokane for me as well. Because before that, the most noteworthy thing that had happened to me in Spokane uh, was when I was a kid and I had my bike stolen oh. there. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, Not cool. Not cool. Yeah. The concert, uh, concert's a much better time, <laughs> but, um, and I also, I have to ask about this, um, because at the end of the tour, you guys played MetLife stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, home of the jets and the giants and the NFL. And, um, you guys played with Bruce Springsteen. Uh, he came out and played a few songs with Paul, which is, uh, I'm so jealous, uh, cause <laughs> he's, he might be my, might be my favorite artist of all time. Like he's. You know, he's why I he's why I sing my own songs, basically. Right. Um, so yeah, what what was it like to play with him? It was amazing, but I feel like one thing that I should mention is that none of none of the three of us were aware that everybody, when Bruce comes on stage, goes boo, Bruce. which we yeah. <laughs> we thought was everybody booing, and we were really confused because everyone had told us <laughs> he's from New Jersey. This you know, this is almost like a hometown show for him when he's going to come out. We were very confused. Very <laughs> confused. Very, very confused. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, it, it's funny because like that's been, that's been happening like his whole career. And there, yeah, I mean, there are still people that think like, are they booing him? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, it was amazing. Yeah, was you know, cool. another another musical icon, you know, two, two icons together on stage. It's, yeah. And seeing the crowd's reaction, you know, amazing. 
Also, though, for me, it was seeing his reaction to Paul. Yeah. As well, like he he sat and watched the whole concert from side of stage, and is genuinely a that you know they're genuinely fans of each other's music, and that was that was really beautiful. You know, he talked about mm-hmm. seeing Paul on the uh, Bruce was speaking to us about uh, seeing uh, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. And how, you know, it changed his life. And he came downstairs the next day and combed all his hair forward and decided, you know, I'm going to be a rock star type vibe. So one of the things about playing for someone like Paul is you see other people that you think would be blasé about meeting him still get, you know, still get gassed and still be excited. And and that was really nice. And then obviously when, when Bruce walks up and opens his mouth and sounds exactly the same as the record, it's like, you know, still, it's, 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 it's something special, something special. Um, and I think this can provide some good insight on what these sort of guest appearances are like, because you guys played Bruce's song Glory Days, which, of course, is not normally in Paul's set list. Um, so when when did you find out that he was going to be playing with you guys? And then what was the process for the band to sort of learn the song before the show? I think we'd got a tip off that something was going to happen at some point of the tour when we were in rehearsals, um, which was in in Los Angeles at the start of April. Um, so we ran that song, obviously with um, without Bruce, um, and then sort of kind of forgot about it for the next, what, two, two and a half months or something. Mm. <laughs> so when we got, got to uh, got to MetLife and realized that that was about to happen, everyone's like, oh shit, we better get Glory <laughs> Days down again. <laughs> uh, it, was kind of, it was kind of that thing. And then obviously ran it a couple of times. And everything's still still locked in. Mm. That was pretty much it, I think. He came and did Glastonbury with us as well. We we had after at the end of the tour, we headlined Glastonbury, and uh, he came and came out there as well, which was also amazing. Yeah, I I was actually just gonna ask you about that because yeah, like a week later, you were playing with him again at, at Glastonbury, and I I remember opening up my Instagram and seeing that, and I was like. They can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, I I also probably th- was like, I bet you Paul told Bruce come with us to Glastonbury when you guys were at MetLife, because um, yeah. it was mm. like it was quite a coincidence yeah. that like a week later they're playing again on the other side of the world. So yeah, love that. Um, what um. What was it like to headline Glastonbury? Because that's like such, you know, it's one of the biggest festivals in the world. So um, that must have been like such a rush to to play in front of that many people. Go, Paolo. Well, yeah, Go I mean, I, for me personally, it's some, I used to watch Glastonbury every year when I was, you know, on the on the TV over here in England, and would just dream of being involved in 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 a show like that, a headline show. So, for, yeah, me personally, I, it was absolutely amazing, and to do it with with these guys and to do it playing with Paul was 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 Definitely, I think one that we'll we'll never forget. The the energy that was coming off that crowd was uh, was insane, and you know, it was just wow. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, Dave Grohl was there, of course, as well. Foo Fighters fan, so don't get me started. When he did, I saw her standing there, and I was just oh. It was, it was amazing. I was watching it. Going, this is unbelievable. I've seen the Foo Fighters loads, so yeah, that was yeah. I I have some uh, some rapid fire questions I want to ask you ask you guys, and you can each have a response here. What is a Beatles or Paul McCartney song that you guys haven't played live yet but would really like to? Silly oh, love Mike. songs. 
Ah, that's the one. <laughs> Penny Lane. Nice. What have you got? Oh, cool. um, sorry, I thought it was just one per person, so I didn't think. Um, come back to me. Okay. <laughs> um, have you guys ever received burn injuries while playing Live and Let Die? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I must say that that song scared me at the show. I was not expecting like the da, 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 live and let die. I was not expecting that. Yeah. Also, on, on, so on some of jump. the outdoor, some of the outdoor shows, if there's um, if there's a few more bangers in there, we we end up getting smoke in the eyes, depending on which way the wind, which way the wind's blowing. Yeah. That can take you by yeah. surprise. Isn't it? But. Yeah, you'll notice the whole band looking at the floor, and it's not because they're making them miserable; they're just trying not to get ash in your eyes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, favorite venue you've ever performed at? I'm a big uh, American football fan, so the Lambeau Field Green Bay Packers was one for me. It might be Glastonbury Pyramid, you know. That was sick. Just to, to throw something else into them, I'd say one of the one of the outdoor shows in South America was it the, the Sao Paulo Stadium or the was it Chile? Was it Buenos Aires? Mm. One that was just like two sides. Yeah, that was special. And the SoFi, because they, they just had the Super Bowl there. And so I knew Snoop, just Snoop, Doggy, Doggy, Snoop Doggy Dog had been in there. And Dr. Dre <laughs> and 50 Cent, which is very important to me. So, yeah. Um, the last album you uh, listened to? Mine was this morning. It's um, Joey Landreth. Uh, which is whatever Joey Landreth's latest album. No, the Landreth Brothers, if you know them. I don't believe I do. No. Oh, you should check them out. I, on, on the way back from a gig, yes, was it yesterday we came back? Like yesterday, I discovered a lady called Madison Ray Ward. And she sings great, and I listened to her EP, and I, it blew me away. I can't tell you much more about her, because I've just listened to that one EP, but right. it bangs. It's really yeah. good. Really, really good, yeah. Incredible voice. Uh, mine would be on the way to the shops just before, because uh, <laughs> D'Angelo Black Messiah was still in the CD player. So yeah, <laughs> nice. That's it. Nice. I got a and Paul. Do you have a, a Beatles or Paul song that you have, haven't played live yet but want to? <laughs> what well, silly love songs would have been mine, but Mike's taken that. But silly love songs, I, uh, I would love. To I can play. swap mine out if it helps. I'll go Arrow Through Me. Ah, nice. Wow, nice. Ah, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. All right. Well, it's now time for the guessing segment of this podcast for which it gets its name. Uh, I will go over the rules for you guys and any new listeners we might have out there. In this bag that I'm holding right now is a record from my personal collection of, of albums. Um, I will give you guys three clues about this album, and then you have to ask me up to 15 yes or no questions in order to determine the identity of the album. And don't worry if you need a hint here or there. I'm not here to make you look bad, so I'm happy to point you in the right direction if you should. <laughs> um, it's it, it's going to be interesting, though, because it's the first time on this show where we have a group working together to guess the record. So you you guys have teamwork on your side. Okay. Um, so, Paul, <laughs> Mike, Kenji, are you guys ready to guess that record? Absolutely. We'll try. Yes. Yeah, we'll try. All, right. <laughs> All right, here are your three clues. This album came out in the 1980s. Seven of its songs were released as singles, with each one of them reaching the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. And this album was important in the development of music videos. 
Question one. Here's the album uh, from a solo artist. Yes. Question two. Is the solo artist still alive? No. Question three. Can the artist moonwalk? Yes. <laughs> Question four. <laughs> well, is the artist Michael Jackson? The artist is Michael Jackson. Question five. Is... Oh. Come on, think of some good questions there, Ken. I am, I'm thinking of some good questions. Leave it with me. Um... <laughs> Someone else asked. <laughs> you guys can do it. You guys can. You can do it. We, we can, can do ask, what? Ask, uh, if you know what the album is, you can. We can just guess. Guess, well, Mike. Yeah. Is one of the is one of the tracks big at Halloween? Uh yes, it is. Yep. Question six. Wow. Well, do, do it, Mike. Do it. Do it. Is it Thriller? It's, it's Thriller. thriller. <laughs> Love that record. Yeah. Love that record. <laughs> and um so yeah when when you guys were um when we were getting set up uh to do this podcast paul mentioned to me that you guys liked michael jackson and um i uh you know i thought well thriller is such a great album and mm. the other great thing about picking this album is that your boss is on this album of course yeah he does the the girl is mine mm-hmm. um and it's it's just such a monster record, so it's it's a fun one to talk about. Um, and before we move on with the discussion, I'll just give some facts about the album for the rare person that has no idea what we're talking about. Uh, Thriller is the sixth studio album by Michael Jackson. It was released on November 30th, 1982, and turned Michael into one of the most famous artists of all time. Uh, the album spent 37 non-consecutive weeks at number one, and as I mentioned in the clues, it had seven singles reach the top 10 of the Billboard charts with Billie Jean and Beat It both hitting number one. Uh, the album is currently the best-selling record of all time with 70 million copies sold worldwide. Holy smokes. Wow. Um, uh, wow. The funny thing, though, is that it's actually not the best-selling album in the U.S. Uh, that title belongs to the Eagles with their 1971 to 75 greatest hits album. So really? Thriller is the second best selling album in the US. Yeah. It's oh. quite funny how that yeah. uh, how that works out. So uh so how did you guys all get into Michael Jackson? Was it just cuz he's he usually has a lot of horns on his songs or I think pretty much, yeah. You hear you hear tracks as you as you're growing up on the on the radio and stuff like that. If it's got horns in, then you li- immediately listen to it. And uh, yeah, and then when once you start finding out who did the horns on on that album, you know, that leads us to Jerry Hay, who's a, a big influence, I think, for the three of us and us of the horn section, and including the techniques. He's, ho- used- he, he's the guy. He's the guy. <laughs> the guy. He's the guy. We're, we're 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 playing it down, but we're in love with him. He's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, he's the guy. But there's a but, lot. There's oh, a lot. God. I remember my, well, my dad sat me down and made me watch Motown 25 when I was younger. So I remember watching Michael Jackson come out and do, and do Billie Jean and the moonwalk, moonwalk. And that was like the first time I think he'd done the moonwalk. I think mm-hmm. I, I remember I remember him playing me that when I was probably, because I was born around the time of this record. Um, 
sadly. Wish I was born later, obviously, as we all do. But um, yeah, so I think it was probably for about four or five when he first sat me down and played me that 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 on like VHS. Yeah, and I remember watching that video. He had it in like he used to get he used to get tapes and videos in like big box sets from the, you know it had like Motown embossed on the front. Like yeah, 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 yeah. and I can remember yeah. Yeah, and so that 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 record and uh, uh, any any Motown record basically, my dad was obsessed. So yeah, between that and then um, getting into it via horns, and then meeting two other guys that were also equally obsessed by by the same horns. This was a, you know, this was a match made in heaven. I was going to say like you know stuff songs like this, like the, some of the songs on Thriller, uh, from like a horn section point of view, you know. Sometimes I'm listening, and I, I and my my partner laughs at this all the time. She's like, "Is all you hear just horns?" Or when you listen to something, you know, like most people listen to maybe all of it, maybe the lyric. Like I just hear it, you know, the, the horns are just like. I think I speak for us all. We're all we're all really bad at lyrics, really bad. If someone says, "What's the even even to the the artists that we're working with?" If you, if you ask us some of Paul's lyrics on on the you know the hits of the songs, we'll be like, uh, "I don't know," but horn part goes like this. <laughs> even, even even still now you know yeah but, um, yeah um and, and i'm kind of wondering because when you compare this to when you compare thriller to the his previous album off the wall i, I think off the wall has a lot more horns on it so do you guys like that one more than thriller i think all that stuff's just pretty equal to be honest but right yeah it's it's all up there um yeah, I mean, and, it's, it's uh, better though because there's more horns on it, isn't it? It's is better. Honest, isn't it? <laughs> more, more you know is more. Like, more is brilliant. <laughs> I do, um, I do think though uh, that having less emphasis on horns with Thriller was a bit of a reaction to Off the Wall because that record is very influenced by disco, and by the mm. '80s, disco was completely out of fashion. So that might be mm. why they're a bit less prominent on the record, mm-hmm. but. Really, Thriller set the trends you would see throughout the 80s. Um, yeah. it's, it's still kind of in that in-between period where you still sort of had some 70s production techniques, but at the same time, there's a lot of synth, there's a lot of drum machines, and it kind of mm. brought that 80s sound to the mainstream, and everyone sort of had to follow it. Um, and, you know, just one of the defining records of the 80s, it was produced by Quincy Jones, of course, and I think... A big reason why it was so successful was that because it was it, it had a lot of genres on it, which uh, mm-hmm. you know made it sort of it's something for everyone. And Michael um, really wanted it to be an album where every single song was a hit, um, mm-hmm. because he was he was frustrated by albums where it would have one good song and then the rest were just you know throwaways. So yeah. um, you know, Thriller. It's uh, it's a, it is sort of, if you're trying to do that, it's probably one of the best albums to follow. Well, yeah, because... I was just looking and there's only nine tracks on that album. So it sounds like mm-hmm. you pretty much achieved what you set yeah. out to do. <laughs> yeah. Also, you mentioned the music video. That was a big, big pioneering thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the videos, uh, the videos were interesting because, well, one, it was, um, of course, there was a bit of controversy at the time because there was this perceived notion that MTV wouldn't play videos by black artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once they started playing like the Billie Jean video and the beat it video, uh, that kind of paved the way for more black artists to get recognition on MTV. Um, and then the thriller video, which is just 
so innovative because it was, you know, it was like a short film. Basically, he brought in a guy named John Landis to direct it. And John directed Animal House and the Blues Brothers and a couple other big time movies. And that was the first time anyone had brought like a proper director to make a music mm. video. And um, yeah, so it, it really turned the video into an art form, basically, which is quite interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. What uh, what are your guys favorite songs off of this album? Oh, I can I can I read the track list. I can tell you some. <laughs> I can tell you like uh, I really I really like Pyt and Baby Be Mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Human yeah. Nature for me. That Human Nature is probably my favorite Michael Jackson song. Period. I think. Really? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, wow. Just the, mm-hmm. the way that the you know the the chords and the music works and just the whole, yeah. It's... Mm. Yeah, I think I think Human Nature would be up there with mine. Yeah. The interesting thing with uh, Human Nature was that um, it was written by uh, a guy named Steve Percaro, who was in Toto. Yeah. And basically all of Toto plays on that song. Like it's it's Michael Jackson with Toto backing him up, mm. which is kind of interesting. Um, there's a There were quite a few famous guests on this record. Of course, with Beat It, you had Eddie Van Halen playing the guitar mm-hmm. solo. Yeah. And it's quite an interesting story because Eddie... Um, got when he got the call to, um, to if they like they were asking him to do the song, uh, Van Halen was on a break at that time, and the other members of the band were on vacation, and they had a rule at that time where they didn't do stuff outside of the band, but right, Eddie couldn't get a hold of them because they were on vacation, so he just decided to do the record for free, um, and uh. That probably wasn't a great move on his part. Terrible move. Didn't, didn't make any money off of that song. Um, and he also, uh, it's also funny because he rearranged the song because during the guitar solo originally, it was just going to go bum, 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 bum the whole way through. But he, he had Quincy Jones change it so that it was like the verse chord progression mm. Uh, mm. to make it a bit more interesting. So yeah, he, he kind of that had is, a part is, in changing that one. <laughs> he's he's too involved if he's not getting paid. He's re- rewriting the song. This is crazy. Yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> he's missed out on a playing credit and a writing credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine in this day and age trying, you know, he couldn't get hold of the band because they were on vacation. That'd be easy. Just I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you found yeah. send them like Can I play a Michael Jackson's record? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, and I also, I, I have to bring up the girl is mine, which is, you know, fits in nicely with all our Paul talk today. Um, interestingly, I, I, when I was doing my research, I found out that say, 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 and the man, which are the other two songs that Paul mm-hmm. and Michael did together were worked on a year before the girl is mine, uh, was recorded. But of course the girl is mine came out before, uh, those other two songs, mm-hmm. uh, cause they ended up on. Uh, the Pipes of Peace album from Paul. Uh, and The Girl Is Mine is also the first single that was released off of Thriller. And it was very poorly received. And many people thought that the album would be a flop because of that song. Um, but it still hit number two on the charts. And um, some people even viewed it as an example of racial equality by having Michael perform with a major star like Paul. Now I, I've got to I've got to ask because if you guys were on the road, and Paul comes to the band and says, 
there's a special guest that's going to sing with us and they want to do the girl is mine. Who do you think would pull off Michael's part? <laughs> that's hard, isn't it? That is hard. Yeah. Cause someone like Michael is such a unique artist. I think, you know, I'd feel Kenji, you look like you've got a name on the tip of your tongue. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would have said someone like Brian McKnight, but it's not, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Could Usher do it? Possibly. I mean, yeah. I can't see Paul ringing Usher. I just don't know if I don't know. If, I don't know. I, but you don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He seems to know everyone. He might ring him. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what about Sam Smith? Oh, okay. Maybe. 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 If you could just organise for all of them to just hold some auditions, Jackson, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll get in touch for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I don't think I don't think they've that song has ever been performed live before. So, um, that, uh, that I mean, yeah. range wise, Bruno Mar- Bruno Mars could hit those notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Range wise, Bruno Mars could hit those notes. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. And I mean, is, people um, would want to see that, and that would that would that would, that would cause quite a stir. Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know how Jackson's estate would feel about that. Uh, no. So I guess just to just to finish off here, what um, what what other Michael Jackson songs or albums that aren't Thriller that you guys like? Off the wall. Burn this disco out. Very much into. I was going to say burn this. Yeah. I mean, all of Off the Wall, I'll take. I'll yeah. take all of that. I'm into. It. I'll lap it up. Love that. Yeah. Um, bad, um, dangerous. I'm just naming Michael Jackson albums now, but I, I'm a fan. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> uh, I think, like from like a horn section, you know, a horn point of view, uh, working day and night is really interesting because once you get into how that was, the horn part of that was created, it, it's fascinating. You know, the more you delve mm. into that, so I think we we all enjoyed that. What's the one with the the real quick? Is it Speed Demon? Speed Demon. That's another one that's got some quite interesting recording techniques and like and just some ferocious horn playing. Not that we only care about horns, but we kind of only care about horns. <laughs> oh yeah, what's <laughs> what's the lyric to that, Kent? Um, I I will say lastly though, um, if if we're talking about the horns. The one thing I, I have noticed on Thriller is that even though they're not as prominent as they are on like off the wall, uh, I find mm-hmm. they're so tasteful on Thriller. Mm. Like, you know, like on a song like uh, um, uh, Wanna Be Starting Something, you know, you mm-hmm. got those like, but like it's just all mm. like layered quite nicely. And it, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not maybe not up front, but it's it just makes the song so much stronger. Um, if Absolutely. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's really part of the sound, isn't it? As opposed to being, and I think that's that. As a horn player, often, often you don't get a chance to be in something. If that makes sense, there's the rhythm yeah. section, and you sit on top of it. But I feel like in in some parts in Thriller, there's like, and also in like, yeah, is it which one's um, Rock with You off? Because there's some uh, really like, like that's off that's the wall. That's off, off the, wall. the wall. There's some really nice parts in that way. You have to listen really closely, but it's sort of bedded in with. Um, you know, flugel horns and like, you know, it's not always, there's the punchy stuff, but there's also textural stuff that becomes mm-hmm. part of the sound as opposed to being, which is, which is why Jerry Hayes is brilliant. We've reached the end of another episode. I want to thank the Hot City Horns, Paul Burton, 
Mike Davis, and Kenji Fenton for taking the time out of their busy schedule to appear on the podcast. Um, it's such an honor to speak with such accomplished musicians. And, you know, Paul McCartney is a hero of mine. So it's incredible to hear your experiences performing with him. So once again, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. Thank Cheers, you. Jackson. Yeah. yeah and, and quickly, I also wanted to mention a shout out from my parents, because when I told them that I was going to be interviewing you guys, they were like, oh, they were like one of the best parts about that Paul McCartney show. So let them know that we think they're awesome. So, <laughs> oh, that's, that's lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Thanks as well to you, the listeners. The show is nothing without you guys. And I always appreciate every download the show gets. So thank you. Make sure to leave a review and rating wherever you listen, but also make sure to tell your friends. Word of mouth is an important part to the success of a podcast. So if you have a friend that loves music, tell them to check us out. We're also on Instagram at Guess That Record, so make sure to follow us there for updates and additional content. Remember to keep rocking, and we'll see you on the next episode of Guess That Record. 